Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software testing and development. On today's episode, we have a discussion with Stephanie Hurlbert. Stephanie is a co-founder and graphics engineer at Binomial. Stephanie has been encouraging experienced engineers to open up their Twitter DMs to questions from anyone to help mentor people not only in technical questions, but in career questions as well. She also sets aside some time to mentor people through Skype when written form just doesn't cut it. That's the primary reason I have Stephanie on today, to talk about mentoring and open office hours. But we also talk about binomial and also image compression and texture mapping and the use of both manual and automated tests for complex systems and sane working hours and work-life balance and how how her long hours early in her career led her to have the opinions she holds today. There are links in the show notes to many mentor lists. I'd also like to find out if there are mentor lists in Python-related fields. If not, maybe we should put one together. This episode is brought to you by Patreon supporters. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. For the people that don't know uh, who you are, could you introduce yourself? Sure. So I I run a small company called Binomial, and we make image compression software. So basically think JPEG or PNG. Um, we make an alternative. We make a different image compressor. And we typically sell to video games. Um, Netflix is one of our customers, video streaming services, uh, anything that deals with lots of images. So mapping, too, is a big one. Okay. So like when I'm zooming in on a Google map or something, not necessarily Google, but one of those type things, um, that's the all those... All the different pieces are images that might need compression. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, I know that in a lot of the times you're talking with games, it's called it's texture texture mapping. And so, for people not in the game space, what does that mean? Right. So, in games, um, uh, texture mapping is a specific thing that happens in the game. In games, you have three D models, but images are two D. Um, so you need a way to for the artist to generate 2D images, but have them wrap around these 3D models um, in a way that, that looks natural, that looks like they were just painted on. And um, often an artist will paint on the 3D model and then that, um, that 3D modeling software will generate that 2D image for you. But that, that 2D image is called the, the texture map. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what I really wanted to get you on uh, the show about was this thing that you do. You're just calling it office hours, I guess. So I um, I occasionally do that, and I uh, I encourage engineers to mentor others in general. So how long have you been doing uh, office hours? So I have started mentorship programs since um, going on a couple over a couple years now. Um, just actively doing mentorship. And it started out by uh, realizing that a lot of the engineers I felt uh, were kind of very exclusive. Now, uh, I was colleagues with them or they followed my work and it was really hard for me to break in, into the industry. So I was just talking with some of them who are now my friends and I said, hey, can you open up your Twitter DMs and just 
like say that publicly that they're open and that anyone can ask you questions. And they were like, sure, they didn't even think about it. So I made a list of engineers that were explicitly open to help other people. Um, and then it kind of started from there. People started using the list of newbies who wanted to break into the industry. And um, I've just been trying various uh, methods to help uh, new people out. So the, this, uh, to reiterate, I guess, um, trying to encourage people to open up their Twitter DMs and, and people ask can ask them questions and stuff? Yeah, exactly. And um, so my the office hours idea that you saw was I realized that um, I, I wanted to do an experiment where uh, with Twitter DMs, people sometimes feel a little nervous to, to message you. They're not sure what to say. They're not sure if you'll really be open to helping them. And with office hours, I created kind of just a Google Sheets and people could just take a slot. And I explicitly said, like, I'll talk to anybody. It doesn't matter what stage you are. I'll talk to you about anything you want. (laughs) And um, it kind of, it just removed another barrier. And so I was, I was doing that experiment. I think open Twitter DMs are still great, but um, I wanted to see how can we remove even more barriers. And have, have people taken you up on that? Have you talked with people? Yes. So in my case, um, I have the problem, which is a good problem to have of, I actually have, um, a lot of, a lot of people message me, uh, through Twitter DMs and ask for help. So I do at least, uh, at least a couple hours of mentoring on Twitter every week. Um, just like uh, over Skype calls, but started through those Twitter DMs and, um, and the, the open office hours allowed people who were too nervous to message me. And so I, I try to do that every now and then too. Okay. So, so somebody, um, let me get that straight. Somebody messages you a question over Skype DM and you think that maybe it'd, it'd be easier just to talk about it. Um, you just arrange a Skype conversation at that point. Absolutely. So usually someone will, you know, say, Oh, I'm, I'm looking for career advice. I'm I'm really struggling. My resume's not good. I haven't been getting offers. And as you know, that that kind of problem could be caused by so many things. And it's it's just usually easier to talk about it over Skype and um, faster too. I think that's awesome. That, yeah. That's so cool. And it, it it makes total sense. I my DMs are open to anybody. And then also. Uh, We've set up associated with or with this uh, podcast. We've got a uh, um, we've got a Slack channel that there's people all over the country that all over the world really that answer questions related to testing, which is nice. But but things like career stuff and other things, I don't think anybody would think to ask on, on that. So I like the idea of just having it be open and just ask wherever you want. Yeah, and career stuff is is usually the number one question, and um, just because. It's it's such a mystery to some people, you know. They're they're not really sure how to get in, and um, or it, at least at least in in my portion of the industry, networking is really important. A lot of jobs aren't even posted, which you know is frustrating, but also the reality. So just uh, learning tips on on how to apply that involves talking to people too. So yeah. Sometimes I'll go and like listen to some of the advice that people are being given when they're applying for jobs. Uh, some of the advice is like, 
that is geared towards people trying to get their resume past the uh, the the automatic filters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's at, at certain bigger companies, it's it's much harder to get your resume in. And that's part of why networking is important is that even when you submit your resume through the system, um, it could get filtered out at any step. But if an engineer on the team likes you, you'll get they'll find a way to get it through. So, yeah, it's it's not great. You've had at least months of uh, helping people out with career advice. Oh, I've been helping people out with career advice for years. Um, yeah, I and and recently the past few months I've tried this this idea of I've always had open Twitter DMs and really encouraged people to reach out to me. Um, but this idea of the the spreadsheet that people can just put their name in as well. I've been trying that for the past few months. Do you think the one way works better than the other? They are they complementary? I think they're complementary. I think it's great to do both and see what works for uh, works for you and works for the the people in your network. And um, one thing I would say is that if you find that the people reaching out to you aren't very diverse, like maybe they're just students from the college you went to, or they, they're all guys reaching out to you. If, if you find a lack of diversity, it means that you're not reaching out to people outside your network. So, and it's, it's really easy to expand that. All you have to do is just reach out to say a local organization like, um, uh, a black girls code or a local school or something that is diverse and, um, and just let them know about, about, what you're doing and that you're open to questions. Okay. I think this is great. I didn't think of it as also career advice. So um, I think, well, I'm, uh, I, when I release this uh, episode, I'm going to, I guess, uh, announce that I'm going to try a similar experiment. And I think I'm going to just follow your model of both um, uh, encouraging people if they want to start with a text form to either email me or, or direct message me. That'd be cool. So, how, so you said you think you you reserve like a couple hours a week for this? At least. So basically, um, and this is, that is a really interesting question because at first when I started this, I would do um, lots of hours of every week. I would, I would basically um, finish work and then do several hours of, of mentoring. And what I realized is that mentoring saps a similar kind of energy as work does, which is a little surprising to me. So these days, I, it just depends on my workload that week. If, if work is, uh, if there's a lot of work to do, I do less mentoring. And if I'm light on my workload, I do more. Um, but either way, I find that mentoring others is, is energizing. It, it like, <laughs> it, it feels really nice. So it's good to incorporate. Okay. Well, how do you deal with questions that you don't know the answer to? That Those are the most fun questions. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to refer them to other people who can mentor them, who maybe didn't think of this idea and, or don't have open DMs or don't do office hours, but I know them. <laughs> So I, I'll purposefully make that introduction and say, hey, uh, for instance, I don't know much about Python, but I know uh, this guy who does. I'll make an introduction. And I, I, I think that a big part of mentoring that people don't realize is that it's so much deeper than just answering technical questions. It's also about uh, 
getting them a network and getting them people who actually know them as people in the industry. Oh, that's, that's nice. It's also cool to have, um, you, you end up, um, that was one of my big fears when I put together the Slack channel for this is I was, I was afraid people were going to ask me a bunch of questions that I didn't know the answer to. And sometimes I don't even know who knows the answer, but having a, having a forum to be able to push it out to other people is great. They're great at answering questions that I can't answer. Um, and then I learned stuff about my own network that I didn't, I didn't know that some of my uh, colleagues were experts in different areas. So that's kind of fun too. Exactly. Exactly. It kind of, it, it's fun because it brings you closer to, uh, to your colleagues. You can say, Hey, like how did, how did the chat go with Shirley and, and kind of, um, bond with them over that as well. So what, do you have any, like, um, like really surprising questions that you remember that, uh, that you can share with us or? Sure. So I, I mean, I can tell some stories, um, like, uh, one of the most powerful stories recently was actually this happened a couple times, but this, uh, you know, this woman had messaged me and she, she was basically like, I have terrible experience. I, I've, my resume is horrible. Um, I'm not even working a programming job right now and I, I can't get any interviews. And I said, Oh boy, this is going to, this is going to be hard. And I said, well, well, let's talk about it. And we talked and what really was happening was that she just had really low self-esteem. Like she, she went to a good college and she did all right. And she was in kind of a QA role in her current company, which is very common for junior developers. Like she was doing fine, but she had just been beat up so much um, with bad interview experiences. And I find that a lot of people just need that, that confidence boost. And it was, it was so funny at the end of the interview, she, she kind of got to realize how awesome she was, which was, which made me happy. <laughs> so, um, so that, that was one example of a story where just having that conversation with someone and telling, and telling them your perspective on their career can really change things for them. Oh, that, that that's neat. The confidence is a big part of it. <laughs> one of the things that a lot of people interviewing for jobs don't realize is that the people they're interviewing with, many of them don't know how to do interviews either. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, w I, I just want to... <laughs> spread the word that you said that because it's so true and um or interviews are done badly or they're given just really bad feedback yes any uh so that was one story can you share any others with us oh yeah i love sharing stories okay let me think i didn't i didn't come with stories prepared so i'm kind of thinking of them off the top of my head um uh recently i've been doing a lot of mentoring around uh around starting businesses, which is, uh, which is a problem that I, I find really interesting to solve, just helping people bootstrap companies. Um, and it's been really fun because, uh, everybody, a lot of people have this idea that if you, if you want to start a company, you have to quit your job and risk everything and your kids are going to starve and you have to search for investor money and this this whole kind of narrative around it. And I'm really passionate about, no, don't quit your job and, and you can um, you can start a business just at any time. All you need to do is fill out some paperwork and then you can start just talking to potential customers and do business building while staying safe and not taking investor money. So uh, 
so it's it's just been really fun and and with building a business um networking is everything so um so it's been really fun to tap this network that i've built up um and kind of use that to help budding entrepreneurs build up build up their networks as well so do you are, you, are we going to see like a um a how to start a business book coming out from you anytime soon I write I write a lot of blogs on it. I I'll I'll see. I'll I'll have to <laughs> Well one thing one thing is that there's a lot of writing on business out there, but there is um and there's a lot of writing about taking the investor route and becoming the next Facebook or Google or whatever. But I feel like those of us who who don't go that route in tech, it's not very publicized, you know? It's not it's not talked about a lot. So um, is Binomial a uh, bootstrap company? Yeah, it's a bootstrap company. We haven't taken any investor money. Okay. How big is the company? It's just the two of us. Um, so it's just me and my business partner. And we've, we've managed to stay small and, and still take on big customers. Is it okay if I jump into Binomial stuff a bit? Yeah, of course. There's two of you. Are their roles separated or do you both do a little bit of everything? So we have an LLC, which means that there's no role at the technical, like at the, you know, paperwork level. We're just both partners 50-50 in the LLC. And um, it's it's kind of interesting. Our roles shift over time. Um, We both have engineering backgrounds. Um, Lately, I've been doing a lot of business work and my partner's been taking care of some of the engineering, you know, to-do list that needs to get done. But it just it shifts as time goes on. Okay. It, it shifts by week or even by month or something, a larger scale. How much time you end up spending in, in the code? Right. So typically what we do is um, we don't work on code all the time. Neither of us do. Um, with our product, it's, well, it's built right now and it's sellable and production ready. And in the world of image compression, stability is everything. Well, it's, it's so fun. I'm talking to a testing expert. So you understand (laughs) some people are like move fast and break everything. (laughs) And, uh, stability is everything in our product. And so we're very careful about adding features. And anytime we do, we make sure to research and test and be very thoughtful about it. So we um, we go on coding sprints of a few months at a time, and um, we're very careful about when to start those and and planning it very wisely. So most uh, a lot of the year we we just spend on business and don't spend um, heavily coding. Okay, and new new features um, have to work, of course, but uh, the old features must work. Uh, so you, you uh, I'm assuming you've got a lot of regression tests in place to make sure that everything that used to work still works. Oh yeah, and it's it's fascinating with images too because um, there is no metric, like just computer metric, that can test image quality well. <laughs> Which is everything to our business. So, um, so you can't just run a, a test and say, "Computer, tell me if this if this image quality is still good." It, it'll tell you an approximation that's okay, but you have to actually look at the image yourself because the human visual system is so complex that we haven't found an uh, an algorithm that can simulate it well enough yet. Huh. So do you have quite a quite a few um, uh, like a big set of 
um, example images that you run through and, and then just kind of have a checklist to look at and make sure they still look good afterwards? Exactly. Uh, finding test images is, is tough. And we um, we also ask our customers for images. And we we anytime we add anything to the compressor, we have to look manually look at thousands and thousands of images just to be sure like, OK, this is still looking good or this is this is off because and we also run um, we also run automated tests and, and testing on all the images, too, with the metrics that are the best we have. But we have to do both. Yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, that's why it's it's a lot of painful work to look at all those images and uh, and like, you know, scrutinize them. So we're, we're very careful not to mess it up. It really interesting problems are really hard to completely automate. Uh, so you there's there's a lot of human stuff that you just it's easier just to say, hey, look at these and make sure they look good. Still, we try to minim automate as much as we can. But there's there's a few places where, like, for instance, uh, just the layout of, of a, a screen or something. It's just it's a lot easier just to, to say, let's dog food it. We use it a lot. If something looks weird, we'll we'll be able to see it. Oh, that's fascinating. It's that's a really good example, actually. And sometimes I get in this in this thought pattern of ah, this testing problem is unique to images and video, but it's so true. It's um, it's a lot easier to test things manually with humans in other areas as well. People out there that are listening, if you haven't uh, at least spent some time watching uh, Stephanie's uh, Twitter feed. It's refreshingly nice. I maybe if everybody on my timeline was happy-go-lucky and ignoring all the world's problems, I would be. I would be a little more like, you know, hey guys, like there are there are issues going on, like and a little, little more angry. But I feel like I feel like we need a, a dose of positivity on Twitter right now. <laughs> You're also somebody that's pushing back against the idea that to succeed you have to work uh, 70, 80 hours a week. So you're you're opposed to overworking, right? Uh, and absolutely, and I mean, for me, when I started this, it it was pure necessity. I literally, I was I was burnt out because in my industry jobs, I was I wasn't sleeping. I was literally working all the time, any every hour I could. I I would often be at the office till midnight, um, and I I just could not. I couldn't even work 40 hours. I, 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 when I left those jobs, I was burnt out and I, I, um, I never want to go back to that. I feel very passionate that people should have work-life balance. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's great that you're very vocal about it. I, I remember one, uh, uh, a headhunter for a company, uh, that was talking with me once and I asked them about the, uh, their work-life balance policies and they said, oh, we're all for work-life balance. In fact, um, there are many employees that only work 40 hours a week, and that's okay. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm thinking I that any employee is part of that. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs> but there are some, and we tolerate it. So... <laughs> Wow. No, I'm I'm of the mindset of if if your company expects you to work more than 40 hours a week, they're not paying attention to to reality and you should try to find another another job. 
I think. Exactly. And I don't know how it is in um, in testing and in that field, but in um, in graphics engineering where I was, even I I think I had a maximum of five hours of good work in me. And so what I would do is I would just like try to look busy the other hours or take meetings or, or whatever. But, um, but in graphics, it's a lot of, a lot of hard work. That's kind of like the work it's, it's like the work I do now where you, you have to be very careful and your mind kind of has to be on all the time. It's not a lot of manual tasks. So I don't, I don't think people have even 40 hours of, of coding work in them. There's other things that take up some of that time, like meetings and things like that. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I I try my best to stick to a 20-hour-a-week schedule. But um, one of the things that makes that possible is that I don't, I, I don't program all the time. So I'll, I'll have, you know, two hours of meetings and then two hours of really focused business work, like, you know answering emails, updating our website, things like that, and um, do that a few days a week. So as a having a company with a partner, did you guys talk about that beforehand that you uh, didn't expect each other to be working 40 hours a week? Or No, it kind of evolved over time. That's a really interesting question. You would think that we should have that conversation. <laughs> But no, we we started as a typical small company, a typical startup of like, we are going to work hard and make this work. And there wasn't even a thought of let's work part time. <laughs> um, but it, it evolved that way. You know, I, I was very burnt out and I would say like, Rich, I'm just I'm too tired this week. I can't work. And he he would understand and he'd be like, it's fine. And he would have weeks like that, too. And eventually we realized that we both just needed balance and and we were both kind of in similar mindsets of uh knowing how it's like to work 100 hours a week and realizing the value of resting and healing that's great mm-hmm. it takes a i guess a special kind of people to to make sure that's uh that's cool with both of you it's interesting i think i think that it takes both the fact that both of us had experienced overwork made it less glorified like I feel I feel like when I was a student, for instance, I thought working very hard was cool. And I would I would look and say, look, Steve Jobs and all these successful people work all the time and they're cool. And I'm going to be like that, too. It was kind of a glorified thing. And we both after being through it, we're like, no, it's it's not cool. Actually, it's horrible. <laughs> we, we know. <laughs> so is binomial something you're going to run with for quite a while? Do you know where the end game is? I think that a lot and it's something that it's one of those things where we are prepared for uh, things like acquisition offers um, we're also um, so we're like a typical startup in that sense and that we might get acquired um, but I'm also really preparing to try to make it work for the long run um, and I don't want to grow the team <laughs> so we're, we're setting up things like reseller agreements so that you know companies with huge sales teams that have all that infrastructure can handle selling our product for us and all they, they take a cut and we take a cut and it's kind of fair in that way and it allows us to reach a lot more customers without uh, 
you know, growing our team. Um, and I've been exploring creative routes like that to scale instead of just hire a bunch of people. And so the name binomial, is that just uh, an intent to scare um, high school math students or? <laughs> yes, that is one of the goals in my business. No, yeah, <laughs> we, we just, we literally, we sat down with a physical huge dictionary one day <laughs> and Googled this, the thesaurus and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And then thought of a bunch of words and, and we liked binomial because uh, we both really like math and that's two, there's two of us and it kind of, it okay. kind of solidified that we wanted to stay small. I like it. That's good. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to, I'm actually, I'm going to take you up on your ability to answer advice and I'm going to try this whole reaching out to try to help uh, more people with career advice and stuff with, uh, trying to set up both, um, uh, direct message for people wanting career stuff and, uh, and within my field of expertise as well. And then also, um, uh, trying to do some open office hours and reach out to say that, um, I don't know if I have, it's non-expert advice, but you can ask me if you want. And, uh, and then if I run into roadblocks with that, I'll probably send questions to to you and say, Stephanie, this happened. What should I do? Uh, (laughs) Feel free. And, um, and I encourage you to post about the fact that you're doing this on Twitter and I'll, um, I have a lot of junior programmers that follow me and I'd be happy. And this applies to all the listeners as well. If you, um, if you ever post your timeline that you're willing to mentor others, uh, please let me know, and I'm happy to spread the word. I, I'm always always happy to do that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, and I, uh, yeah, it's just been a great conversation. It's been a great chat. Thank you so much, Brian. As I said during the episode, my Twitter DMs are open. Feel free to ask me anything. If I don't know the answer, but I know someone who does, I'll try to point you in the right direction. If I really just don't know, I'll tell you that too. I was going to announce open office hours for myself during this episode. However, I got accepted to speak at PyCon in May, and I'm preparing for lots of presentations between now and then to get ready. So perhaps when the PyCon dust settles, I'll try to open up some office hours. Until then, feel free to reach out to me via via Twitter DMs or just through Twitter at Brian Aachen or through the contact form on either of my sites. If you're open to mentoring yourself, not mentoring yourself, but you yourself are open to mentoring other people, open up your DMs, announce it on Twitter, and let Stephanie and I know about it. She's at S.E. Hurlbert. If there's already a list of mentors out there in Python, or for software testing, let me know. If I don't hear about any, I'll start a list of everyone who contacts me. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.